Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey there, fast break breakfasters. We're hoping you can do us a favor and vote for us in the annual Best of Nashville Awards. But why, you say? You're an important podcast. Who cares about Best of Nashville? Well, we care. We want to win. We've won before and we want to get back there. So if you could help us out and just click the link in this show's description and vote for us for Best Podcast, Fast Break Breakfast, Best Sports Show or Podcast, Fast Break Breakfast, and Best Twitter Account, at Fast Break Break. Here's the rub, though. You have to vote for at least 20 categories. So just vote for some things. Vote Chipotle if you feel like it. Write in Chuck Anderson or John Burr for anything, but whatever you do, don't forget to vote for Fast Break Breakfast in the Best of Nashville contest. All right, now for the show. All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA podcast. My name is Keith. Got a big show today. Jackson Frank's going to come on and talk about the Ben Simmons situation. And then in the last drop, Demond Rangulo will stop by and talk about the very wealthy Los Angeles Lakers. But right now, John Burr. John, how's it going? Good actual morning, Keith. It is actually the morning, and you're the third person I've recorded with today. So wow. we've been going hard. Business-like. Early bird gets the worm. Now, this morning, Thursday morning, September 2nd, my Dennis question joke. acknowledged oh nice my question to you is how many centers is too many how many centers not centers how many centers is too many for an nba team is it like the old nfl adage if you have three quarterbacks you have none oh that's a good one i like that i think it was like the college two, football one the college football one two doesn't work but i feel like if you have like three guys of the same quality in the NBA, you're probably in trouble. Like it's okay to have a a, a center and a defined backup center, but if it's like a, if it's like a a pitching rotation of centers, you're probably well. So last in year the Wizards did this, yes. where they had Alex Lynn, Robin Lopez, and Daniel Gafford. Because apparently Daniel yeah. Gafford gets very tired very quickly. Very relatable <laughs> NBA player. He just gets very tired. There's a lot of running. <laughs> just like coach, I I got to come it, out. Is it tired or is it fouling? No, he literally apparently gets really tired. He doesn't have the stamina to play that you, that that many minutes. I'm going to start calling Chuck Gafford now. That's fine. Just call him Gafford. He won't even understand what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, also, the the, I think the Wizards are doing it again this year with the rotation. Uh, they, they they got a bunch of centers, but right now there's a couple of teams. One, the Cleveland Cavaliers have loaded up. Right. They have a bunch of guys who are fours, but are so bad on defense they can't play four. So mm-hmm. now, like the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know they already had Jared Allen, their one rim protector. They drafted right. Evan Mobley, who maybe is going to be awesome. Then they got Larry Markin. They already have Kevin Love. Uh, they got our guy from Florida State, Kabingale. And then they just signed Taco Fall. I mean, I know it's not a guaranteed deal. That's we're talking. That's like six centers, and right. not to be outdone. Big news for NBA fans on Thursday morning. Shams is 
announcing that apparently LaMarcus Aldridge is back. LaMarcus Aldridge is back. And where does he want to go play? Why? He wants to go be the sixth string center on the Brooklyn Nets, actually displacing DeAndre Jordan, who by my count is the seventh center on the Nets. <laughs> and now everyone Are you thinks. Bruce Brown? I am counting Bruce Brown. Okay. That's, he's, he's, he's their best center. Best one. <laughs> uh, despite being the shortest. No, everyone is picking the Nets as the best team in the East. They're, I think they're the gambling favorites for the NBA title. They clearly could have won the title last year if Kevin Durant's foot was a tiny bit smaller, if James Harden was not injured, if Kyrie Irving was not injured. They seem like the best team maybe in the NBA right now, but is seven centers too many? What, what are your thoughts? Well, it's funny because I feel like the best center for the Nets is now the center under fire for Cleveland, Jared Allen. <laughs> but uh, I don't. I actually don't. Th- I think like this is okay for the Nets. Like this is gives them a a chance to figure it out. I don't know what Lamarcus Aldridge brings to the table, but I will say this: I think he's bringing more to the table than Paul Millsap, their other recent acquisition. You haven't been a fan of Paul Millsap's last few years. Well, I really liked Paul Millsap for a long time. Yeah. But then I, because we watched so much Nuggets, there's just, he's just bad. He's so, he's so. This is where we don't see the same. We watch the same Nuggets games. Talk about a guy who seems to get tired quickly. Uh, I think Paul Millsap's is now like a regular season basketball player. Uh, You can play him. You can grind him through bad teams all year round. When the good teams show up in the playoffs, he gets exposed, and uh, but that might work for the Nets. That might work for the Nets, uh, particularly since, like you know, they have like the eminently frustrating Blake Griffin, who is apparently still awesome, went on the Nets. So is Blake Griffin the starting center? I think he probably is. I guess, but I I don't understand. Like, there's like a new element to basketball that I don't think I either didn't notice before, or or is or is actually new, and that's like the player who plays kind of when he wants to like, and the guy who's willing to like, I I don't know, like maybe Paul Millsap when he's used in a different, uh, when he's used in a different way, maybe he'll suddenly be youthful again. Maybe he was disgruntled in Denver. This is, this is where we totally disagree. I thought he was like a good backup center last year. Like I thought he was just, maybe maybe he helped for what what they needed. Maybe that's not what he wanted. Maybe that's not what he wanted to play though. So you know, I'm, I'm I'm actually trying to draw like a correlation to like the Kevin Love situation and the Blake Griffin situation. Like, I thought Blake Griffin was just bad. He's right. not bad. Oh yeah, he wasn't bad. He wasn't trying. So I think it is different. Kevin I, Love, Kevin Love, might not be bad. He might not just. You that's know, a, maybe that is a trying. great question. What if they what if they so, get Kevin Love too? What if there's a if there actually is a buyout and Kevin Love says I want to be the eighth center on the next. <laughs> Right now, so right now, I'm going to count them up. I'm going to name them off if you're having trouble naming them at home. I think Blake Griffin's the starting five. Okay. Kevin Durant, he's a four, even though he could honestly play some five if he wanted to. Uh, but I think Blake Griffin's the starting five. I think your backup five, you're probably Claxton? Nick, Nick Claxton. Yeah. Nick, Nick Claxton's a good young player. Then, this morning, Paul Millsap said he was joining the Nets, but then, based on that news, Marcus Aldridge said he wants to join the Nets. Uh, so we have Claxton, we have Marcus Aldridge, possibly. We have Paul Millsap. We have Blake Griffin. We have DeAndre Jordan, who we assume is out the door. He gone. He eventually, he's going to be out the door. Uh, and then they drafted in the first round this year, Daron Sharp. They traded Landry Shamet to the Suns, got this first round pick for Daron Sharp, who on paper sounds like a great fit for the modern NBA, a, a good young guy to kind of figure it out on a very, very deep team. Now, who knows if he'll ever play. And then, of course, there's Bruce Brown, who is like a guard, small forward, power forward, center can I answer this question two different ways? The Cavs yeah. have too many centers. Yeah. The Nets, who are a, 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 an assemblage of brittle-boned septuagenarians, that's fine for them to collect all these players and to use them in and out as players go up as players go up and down the IR. That's my that's my official stance. I do think this Nets team, as good as they are, as talented as they are, as I think they are the rightful favorites, definitely in the Eastern Conference. They do have a little unbalanced thing going on with their roster. They, like if Kyrie misses his 20 games, like which he like he likes to do, right. then they don't really have... I mean, I guess you, then you, you go James Harden, all one. 
Like they they are actually they're actually kind of right. thin as far as guards. They have Harden, they have Kyrie, they have Patty Mills who doesn't can't dribble. Pretty similar to the Clippers of last year, where if one guy gets hurt, the lack of ball handling is pretty outrageous. Yeah, but but apparently, you know, that seems to be the most imminently replaceable thing in the eyes of GM since nobody stockpiles them. Uh, and big men are very clearly being stockpiled. Like we're watching it in action. So I think this is probably just the way of things. You're probably right. Well, anyway, John, the Memphis Grizzlies, they're coming to our town. Oh. Not the actual, all the players or anything. We they're could resting. use a few more big men, I think. They're resting because there's like 40 days until the NBA season starts for real. Uh, but this year's regional caravan is stopping in Nashville, Tennessee on September 10th. It's also coming to Murray, Kentucky, Little Rock, Arkansas, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and it will feature Grizzlies personalities and entertainers like the Grizz Girls, like Eric Hasseltine, like Girl. one Keith Parrish and Chuck Grizz Anderson. Girls. Hey, Chuck and I Chuck and I are going to throw some t-shirts at the, at the crowd at the sounds. You game. guys get a Steve Ballmer t-shirt cannon. I mean, I, I wish they would give us a hot dog gun. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you guys, if I was there, we would definitely do the Trinity thing where each of us holds a part of the slingshot and the third guy fires it off. Who would be the, who would be the fire? Who would be the, I feel like it would be one of the fat guys. So me or Chuck, I guess yeah. me since Chuck's slimming, although he's in a caftan and that's the most performative position. So perhaps he would want that one. Yeah, it's true. So I'm perfectly fine. Just stretching my arm. If you are anywhere near Nashville, come on down on September 10th. If you're anywhere near these other locations, go to grizzlies.com and check the dates for when they're coming through. There's going to be giveaways. There's also basketball camps for kids that happen in a lot of these spots. Just check it out on grizzlies.com. Also, one lucky fan at each of these stops on the Grizzlies Caravan will win a weekend in Memphis getaway package that includes a two-night stay at a downtown hotel, tickets to a Grizzlies game, and passes to local Memphis attractions. Visit grizzlies.com today. Well, anyway, John, thanks for stopping by. See you next week. I'm joined right now by Jackson Frank. Jackson, you're a first-time guest on Fast Break Breakfast. You might not know this. We start off talking about breakfast. It's early. <laughs> you're on the West Coast, right? That's right, I am. I absolutely am. It's uh, it's 8.31 over here on the West Coast in Portland. Ooh, that's pretty good. Have you had a breakfast yet? I have not. I've got a... Uh, I'm thinking about some oatmeal today, though. I've got a big variety pack of some Quaker Oats in the corner that's been collecting dust, but I'm, I'm thinking... Oh, I'm gonna... you're going to dust that off? Yeah. I got to say, I love Portland. Uh, I, have, I have fond memories of breakfasts in Portland. I feel like it's an exceptional breakfast city. You got all those food trucks, like a breakfast mm -hmm. burrito everywhere. I feel like, I mean, this might be stereotyping Portland. I feel like they were kind of the initiators of like the brunch, like the breakfast bowl, like the hash. I mean, maybe it was a big city. Maybe it was New York somewhere. I know that didn't come to Tennessee for a while. <laughs> I first encountered it out, out in Portland, I'd say. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, a lot of great brunch spots. You can go with the acai bowls too, if you want to stay a little healthier for, for breakfast. Um, a lot of great spots here. I live downtown, so uh, I don't go for breakfast very often because I like to, you know, I like to stay in, stay at home and whatnot. Yeah. But, uh, if I have friends or family visiting, there's uh, no shortage of places to go to, to take them and a wide variety of options. I will say also, I think an early Portlandia sketch was just about the, uh, the wait in line at the, uh. <laughs> For brunch, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, it's it's yeah, a that's, whole, that's whole entire game. Um, I'm not huge on waiting in line for food. That's one of my things, you know? Like, Me either. I, I eat when I'm hungry. I'm willing to pay, you know, I'm willing to pay a good amount for food, but I'm not willing to wait in line and pay a good amount. Like, it's one of those, it's either or. Like, all right. Oh, yeah, especially breakfast because you haven't eaten. Yeah. Before, and then you got to wait 45 minutes. You're like, I thought I was, I thought I was going to eat in 45 minutes, not get seated in 45 minutes. So, yeah. I'm, yeah. I I'm can't not even big imagine. on that. I like, I like efficiency with breakfast. Are uh, they serving me coffee in line? I can't wait that long <laughs> to get my coffee. Anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit. Despite you being on the West Coast, you're, I think it's fair to say, you're an expert on the Philadelphia 76ers. You know a lot about the 76ers. They are in the news because they've, they apparently have done something wrong, and Ben Simmons is no longer interested in being on this team. All this talk of them shopping him. Obviously, there was the event in the playoffs, like the, the pass heard around the world where he, he passed up the open dunk. The struggles from the foul line, all of this kind of snowballed into now what was the one seed in the East last year and one of the best teams in the NBA the last three seasons. Feels like they're stuck. So, like, 
how do we get here? First of all, like, how do we get here? Yeah. So I think direct, I mean, there's a couple of ways if you can want to trace it back, you can either look at the most, re- you can go from latest to oldest, or you can go oldest to latest. I like to go oldest to latest because I think Ben Simmons is the the one who deserves most of the cult building in this situation. Um, just hasn't really gotten tangibly better offensively, um, you know, in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I did a podcast yesterday with, with Paul Hudrick over at Louis Ballers and, and we were talking about how like that first second round against the Celtics was probably his best offensive showing, um, which seems weird to think about now because it caught us by surprise because of the way that Ben was playing, you know, with the close regular season against the heat and the opening round series. Um, the Raptors was okay. A lot, you know, this, this Hawks one was obviously quite detrimental, but just hasn't improved tangibly. He hasn't really developed much of a post game despite being 6'10, 6'11. Um, you know, can really still only finish with that right hand despite, you know, shooting free throws left handed. Um, you would think that he could be a pretty good roller um, and screener, but he just has never consistently done that yet. Obviously, the jumper, you know, is a, is the most glaring, you know, thing there, but I, but he's 6'11. If he, like, he doesn't have to shoot, right? There's other things he can do. So it's that. Um, there's been reports that he hasn't necessarily always been receptive to the development plans the Sixers have laid out, um, which is fine if you have a better alternative, but um, clearly whatever he's done hasn't worked. But then most recently, um, you know, I think it, it makes like the Sixers are right to be wanting to trade him. He just hasn't been that number two guy for a team that has an MVP candidate and a, a super solid 2L. Um, but the way I think it's happened, it makes sense that Ben wouldn't want to play there, right? Like you want to go where you want it, whether like wherever you have to work, you want to feel like that company is invested and committed to you or the organization and the Sixers haven't shown that. And rightfully so. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say that he did anything incorrectly, but I understand why it's reached this point with Ben and his, his agency um, because you want to, you want to go somewhere where he's committed. And that just hasn't been the case under, under Dale Morey's tenure. You can mention the other thing like they chose him over Jimmy Butler. Um, they wanted him to play point guard, but that's an old, that's an old boss, right? Like those things don't yeah. really matter. So that's, that's why I view things. It's not to blame the Sixers. I understand why they've done it, but they've been pretty, pretty brazen and open about their willingness to move him. And the James Harden thing I get, like if you can get James Harden, you try and get him for Ben Simmons. But at the same time, like Ben was coming off an all NBA year. Um, they missed him in the playoffs. Like maybe you're hoping you're like thinking maybe there's some commitment to me for my new offer in office. So I understand all that Ben deserves the majority of, you know, kind of the responsibility for why it's reached this point. But at the same time, I, I totally can see why he might not want to be Philadelphia 76. Yeah. Yeah. The part of it that's weird to me as an outsider is like all this talk that's become kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like the party line of saying like Ben Simmons has has failed to show improvement, you know, in the playoffs. Like that is something that I don't feel like we heard about. Like going into this playoffs, that was no one was talking about that. Like no one was just like, oh, Ben Simmons is good. Like he's whatever. He's in the Deems of Player of the Year conversation. He's an all-NBA type player. And then it was just losing to the Hawks where now this overwhelming narrative is this guy's never improved. Like now this guy has never fallen the offseason programs. And so some of it to me, again, as an outsider, it feels like, well, this is just the front office spinning this, or like we've, we've all kind of jumped on this narrative when it's still like, it seems like the Sixers are, are really good with him. If any number of bounces go a different way, like they could have easily made the Eastern conference finals this year. Like, it, it, you know, it should have been them over the Hawks like that, but that, that could have happened. If just like a couple things, you know, go differently. There's other years where, you know, he's injured in the playoffs where they get swept in the first round and you're like, Oh, well they got swept because Ben Simmons is not here. And so now it seems really weird where, and maybe it's just my timeline too on Twitter, where it seems like a lot of Sixers people are like, yeah, we're not a title contender. We need to take a step back. We, we can trade them even for picks or something. And for me, that's kind of shocking where I'm like, you guys were again, like, the on-court product has been so good over the past few years. And even Ben Simmons, despite his limitations, like you say, like, you know, he's never been like that, the the screen and roll guy. Like, but it's like, who would he do that with? Like, you know, there hasn't been for me, like as much of a, a creator, you know, like Seth Curry, eh, like yeah, George, think- George Hill, another, like, eh. Yeah, the George Hill 76er experiment did not work right. out. Yeah. Um, but I think I think within Sixers crowds, there's been a much more vocal hesitancy or apprehension about him because year one, it was like, okay, it happened. Year two, uh, he played a much smaller role. Jimmy Butler was the main creator there. And so, like, those years made sense, but it's, you still always had entering year four uh, where it was like, 
he's gotten worse offensively. Like not where he's, he's, he gets worse in the playoffs offensively beyond the first round than he does. Yeah. Every, like it's, I kind of like the way I kind of phrase it, like he's been an 86 game player. Like he's good in the regular season than the first round because the Sixers have a higher seed. Oh, totally fine. Um, but it, so I think at least as someone who's covered the Sixers for a while now, it's been like, it's definitely been a more vocal apprehension uh, of kind of Ben beyond the first round offensively. Um, and yeah, they never, they haven't had the best creator. Um, they haven't had a, dynamite pull-up shooter i mean even though jimmy butler was a very good crunch time scorer for them uh for most of his tenure um he's not he's not the dame lillard the trey young type guys right but i think they've had enough like seth curry really took on a pretty significant on-ball role this past this past playoffs i mean even time from the regular season um you can even say tyrese maxi like they've had at least the guys where ben was a more consistent screener roller that he would look better in in that in that role obviously yes he would look best with a prime time creator um, but I think there's been enough in in place for him to be better in that role than he's been. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's I think I think year four though was really just if it, it felt like it really swelled. I think it's a combination of things. It's the fact that Joel took a leap. Um, he went from kind of that he's still in the I would just call him a top ten player, but he went from a guy who was maybe not quite good enough to be an MVP, and then last year finished second. I think that's taking a step up. Um, you know, Seth Curry. I mean, Seth Curry averaged what, 22 points on a million percent true shooting. Like, um, and so then year four with like, you'd think those two factors should get you past the Hawks, especially the Hawks team that was missing DeAndre Hunter, who was a, yeah. you can say that the, the Sixers were missing Danny Green for the second half of the series, which is true. But the, the, the cops were missing DeAndre Hunter for the entire series. And he was excellent for them when he played. And so year four, you're hoping like, okay, Ben, you've had a couple of times where you struggled in the second round. Like, what have you learned? Like, let's, let's see kind of how you've taken that in, in stride and, applied it to improve and that just didn't happen. So I think it, it definitely felt like it was maybe amplified this year, but it's always been something that swelled within Sixers circles. Um, just really came to a T this year because this, is, this was their, I would say the 2019 team was, was a better team in the playoffs, but you, but when you're the one seed and you're playing a team, like I would not, not the Hawks are bad, but you think like, okay, like the Hawks are down a key player. We have the MVP, like we have, you know, the idea that Doc Rivers is an experienced coach. Doc has his own faults, of course. But I think this year felt like really the opportunity for them to make that deep run finally with, with Joel and Ben. And because it didn't happen and largely because of, of Ben's struggles, the calls and worries got bigger. But I think it's always been there. But maybe maybe that's me living in that Sixers boat because I've, you know, I've covered yeah. the for three or four yeah, years. Yeah, that's, that's, it's tough. Because again, like if you want to, like assigning blinds always hard. And when you talk about second round playoff failures, the sample size is always going to be so small. Like you were talking about a, a handful of games. And it's funny, like you mentioned like the 86 game player. Part of me, like part of my maybe basketball philosophy, I think, well, if you can get me to the second round of the playoffs, we're one of eight teams. Like we're now one of eight teams. That's basically the goal. Everyone's trying to get there. And so it seems kind of funny to be like, I all right, I, you know, like, like I to, to try the, to change paths yeah, when you can already get that far. I think the way that I at least look at that is like, there's about 10 teams in the NBA in a given year that Ben will really struggle with. Um, and part of the reason he's been good in the first round, some of it, some of it, he deserves, you know, praise, but they've been a higher seed, They've been the one, the three and the three. So it's, it's easier to continue to be an all-star level player when you're playing the sixth seed, the sixth seed, and the eighth yeah, seed, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if you're a four, if you, if Ben is on a team that's looking to be the four, the five, or the six, or the seven, maybe like we're looking at some trade suitors, like it's harder to expect him. Like if he's going up against a two seed in the first round, there's a good chance he looks pretty poor offensively. So it's a really tough discussion. I'm curious to see wherever he lands, like if he makes the playoffs, how he looks in that first round. But yeah, um, but he does deserve praise for having been an excellent, excellent first round player. I just don't know how to parse that out from a lower a kind of lower tier opponent versus actually being in the first round. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's one of those, maybe that's also the Rudy Gobert conundrum. Like, is he a 86 game <laughs> player? You know, like he's so dominant and then it's like one, but it's again, like I think the Jazz were good enough basically to win the finals last year. Like if maybe Donovan Mitchell doesn't get banged up, like are they good enough? And then these these discussions become different. It's the Mike Budenholzer situation. Like is he, <laughs> he's not good enough to win a championship as a coach and then he is and now you got like the Sixers I don't want to say saddled, but like Doc Rivers has lost numerous playoff series. Not that he's just been ahead, but also as a higher seed. Like he's lost way more playoff series as a oh, higher yeah. seed. That like that's not common. You know? No, I think yeah. Obviously, Ben deserves you know responsibility in their downfall. But but Doc was really born in the second round series. Like he played, he put Shake Milton in the game 
for the first, first first minutes in game seven of the fourth quarter. Shake's a nice player. He's take he's the fact that he's at least you gotta see what's gonna happen, player, right? You just second round guy, but it just feels like he's throwing things like it's you got yeah. 12 minutes left and he, he played Dwight Howard too much. Um, yeah. you know, he, he, he I think Doc deserves a lot of responsibility as well that has gone attributed within sixer circles, but in the general narrative, I think a lot of it is Ben, Ben, Ben. It's like, yeah, Ben was really poor offensively. He was still really key to that. I mean, their defense was still awesome in the second round. It was the offense that faltered. It was Ben. Tobias was really poor down the second half of that series, too. So that's not to say that Ben isn't. I would say Ben is the leading on-court reason, but I think Doc deserves more responsibility. And even Tobias being being not that guy as the lead premier creator. So, uh, yeah, the Doc stuff, I think it's like even if they – whatever they get back for Ben, it's, it's still tough to feel confident in their championship ceiling because of – all the talent that Doc's had and still, I mean, hasn't made a conference finals in back since Boston. So this is two right. different spots now. So uh, that's not to say that he's the, the bigger reason than Ben. I don't want to like get into the, you know, the percentage of, of responsibility, but uh, I think in, in kind of the mainstream discourse outside of Sixers world, Doc has kind of gotten off a little too easy given his, his struggles in that series. I think, I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure the last closeout game that Doc Rivers won in the second round of the playoffs was in the movie Uncut Gems. <laughs> it was it was that series featured uh, in the movie. So it, the way you're talking, it seems like you're not uh, believing. Like Joel Embiid tweeted on Wednesday, you know he he would hope the team could come back as is. You feel like this is irreparable. The 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 ship has sailed. The bridge has burned. Yeah, I, uh, Clutch is going to pull their guy out, and now the Sixers are are scrambling to have to be forced to do something. I yeah I, I don't I don't I mean I think Joel Joel and Ben talked a lot this year about the idea that the relationship was better, and I I do genuinely believe that was the case. Um, I think a lot like I don't think they've ever been like the best of friends, and they're not like they're not Dwayne Wade and LeBron James playing together trying to win titles, right? But I think a lot of the idea that they the restraint came from the offensive lack of cohesion. Like you look at that and you're like, okay, well then what's the reason, what can we, other reasons can we find that eventually this parent is going to split? I'm not saying that people are manufacturing things, but I think there was more of that than necessarily. Like if those guys were complimentary on both sides of the ball, there wouldn't be these kind of inklings about their, you know, their discordance, you know, off the court. Um, maybe those things actually play, play together. Like if you don't work ideally together offensively, maybe that strange relationship, I'm not going to project or anything, but uh, point me is, yeah, I, I have a tough time seeing like Joel wanting to run this back, given how well he's played and the degree to which his seemingly co-star has struggled. Not that's not that I'm saying he's he's not like I'm not saying he's not telling the truth or anything. I, I'm sure that maybe he's privy to the offers on the table and he says it's better to just run it back, and which could be the case. I think like Daryl Morey as a GM has typically been pretty you know transparent with his franchise superstar, whether it's Harden in Houston or now you know Joel in Philly. But yeah, I think I think it's just I think. Like he clearly, I think there's clearly some sort of like really close relationship that he feels for Ben. And he, he, he thought maybe Ben was getting piled on too much and wanted to kind of show some support. But, but yeah, I have a tough time seeing that Joel would feel really confident in their title chances if they brought everything back. I love the idea of Maury being like, Hey, Joel, um, <laughs> the Kings have offered Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley. And Joel's like, I, I, we got to make this work. Like, hey, Ben's a great guy. Like, let's, let's, like that's that's not an improvement. It's interesting. Like, the Sixers' offense has not been terrible. Like, the past four years, just looking at like the cleaning the glass stats, like their points per possession, they're always top half of the NBA. Which, like, you know, they're clearly the strength of the team is this dominant defense. But like, they mm -hmm. haven't struggled that bad. But anyway, so if if this rift is is you know if it's done, you can't replace uh, or, or you can't get them back together, repair the relationship. What are you looking for? Like, what are these trades or anything out there that makes a lot of sense? I, I, like the Danny yeah, Lillard thing doesn't make any sense to me now that with the, the trailblazers have done this off season, but like what kind of return now are you getting 70 cents on the dollar? Like, like what, what kind of return yeah, are, are you think thinking about? It's interesting because I think the way that I've interpreted or thought about these things over the last two and a half months in the season ended has, has evolved, you know, as more news come out in time as, you know, it progressed. But I think honestly, at this point, uh, I think to to maximize their title odds long term, honestly, the better move is to to get maybe a starting caliber player and a rotation guy, and then get some picks. Like I, that sounds weird to do, and Daryl Morey's never been one to really hoard picks. I mean, there was that there was a stretch in Houston where they never had a first round pick or whatever for half a decade. But I think that is more enticing if you're trying to actually find that star, whether it's Dame ass out in eight months or Beal 
you know, declines his player option or something like that. Like that is more enticing to Washington or uh, Portland, or maybe maybe the Chicago experiment doesn't go well, and Zach Levine, you know, decides he's not not committed to. I think that is more interesting to a rebuilding team than you know a bunch of quality rotation guys that are 24 to 28 years old. I think picks always seem to be more enticing, just the unknown. Um, and so, and maybe like Tyrese Maxey takes a step forward next year and it becomes more than just an intriguing young guy, a guy who's a legit rotation player on a very good team. That's, that carries a lot of intrigue still. He'd be 21 years old. So that sounds like it, it sounds not ideal. And the, the reality is it's six or seven, a very suboptimal situation in terms of actually reaching that title contender status around Joel. But I think if you're trying to play the long game, because you're not going to get a star, as you've said, said right now, those guys aren't available. They'll become available. Like it'll happen. The NBA moves so quickly. But I think the better idea is to move him for a couple of rotation guys you can bank on and, and get some picks. I think I think there was a report out of the Athletic from Minnesota's side that discussed a lot of picks, uh, discussed Jaden McDaniels, uh, Malik Beasley, uh, and, J- and Jane's another young guy that, you know, maybe in a year from now was even more intriguing than he is currently. So that's the way I would go. I think it really has to be a multi-step process for the Sixers to potentially even get to that telecontender status. But uh, it remains very challenging regardless. And that's, that's a really tough situation to be in. Isn't Malik Beasley a clutch guy? Is, I, that, a pro- is that a problem? I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to Google that right now. I think he is. I think Malik Beasley released from jail two weeks ago. Um, he might be a clutch guy, but they also have Maxie in, in, in there. Who's a, that's who's right. Clutch. I know that there was the initial report that said that Maxie was maybe going to, you know, uh, or Rich Paul might have wanted Maxie up and then that was refuted. So I don't know exactly how that, that would work. Um, uh, he actually, he was a clutch guy, but he's okay. not as of, uh, less than a year ago. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, he left clutch. Yeah, so, I mean, Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no, no aunt Edwards in, in that case though. Uh, That's not right. That, not that's that right. Wolves should be trading Anthony Edwards for Ben Simmons. Of course. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. But all, all this is to say that, like, it's a really, really tough sell. Like they're just not, I mean, this is very unlikely they actually compete for a title in the next two or three years. Um, which isn't like Daryl's made some missteps you can say, but a lot of it ties back to previous regimes and, and mistakes. So um, that's my, my, my idea is to go for kind of the, the pick centric uh, deal um, because I think that really maximizes yeah. your chance of landing a guy in, in a year or half a year. But I mean, in a year, Joel Embiid's going to be almost 28 or no, he's going to be almost 29, turns 28 in March. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd have a hard that. time. I'd have a hard time if I'm running the Sixers knowing that, all right, Embiid is clearly in his prime, you know, second in the MVP last year, arguably on a per minute basis could have been the MVP. Like he's ready. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, I want to win as many games as possible next season and the season yeah. after that because you, you, you're you not promised anything you, you never Absolutely. know what's going to happen and when you even when you look at the league right now i feel like it's 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 kind of open you think about the lakers they're, they're title favorites they're the betting favorites or i guess the nets are but like you, you you got the nets you know you got the bucks you got the lakers and then it's like if the sixers were, were able to replace ben simmons with just mm-hmm. okay good players offensive fits and you think all right could they be there on the same level with the jazz and the suns and for me, it's like if you're one of the top six teams, that's that's all you can ask for a lot of yeah. years. You I mean, know, you like look, like, you, like you're never you gonna get Hawks, a better right? shot. Like, yeah. You look like in the Hawks, I think, are, are very good. Um, but I think I don't think when everyone was healthy last year in the East, they were one of the, the two best teams. It's not that it's scared. No, no, yeah. It's more a point that you so much like you get so much of like a success in the playoffs is just circumstances. And that's that's, yes. again, that's not to criticize the Hawks at all. But if you but the Sixers, if they can get to a point where they can benefit from those circumstances, you know, one reason or another. Um, maybe a guy has a cold shooting stretch from their team, or unfortunately, a guy gets injured. Um, to be able to capitalize on that is is all you need to do. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I I don't I don't know what the optimal path is, and yeah, it feels it feels like antithetical to a Daryl Morey led team to waste the prime of of a guy like Joel um, because yeah. Joel, like he, in a lot of ways, honestly, he is like he, you can see why Daryl thinks so highly of him because Daryl loved James Harden. They're different players, but. You can find a lot of overlap there if you're doing a Venn diagram between the two of them, um, broadly speaking. So it feels weird, but I think if you're really trying to say, hey, maybe in a year, maybe next summer we're a leading contender in trade negotiations because we have these four picks and these two picks watching yeah. these three picks. So it, it it's tough, but I but I get at the same time like they're just not going to win a title with this current core. Like it's just they don't like Tobias Harris is not the printer shot creator than he like the lead one. Ben clearly is not that sort of guy either. Um, even Joel, like Joel is an incredible player, but he's probably not your lead shot creator. If he is, 
you need someone who's better than sure. Ben Tobias or Seth Curry. I mean, Seth Curry was our second best shot creator and he's, he's fabulous. He's a very good role player, but if that's the guy you're running off and it's on the perimeter beyond Joel, you're probably a tough spot offensively. So I think just finding something to lighten the load for Joel offensively is really what you need. Cause you I mean, even he struggled a lot kind of in the, yeah. in some of those four quarters against the Hawks. And that's, that's more a product of roster construction than his own faults, but yeah. There haven't been a lot of rumors or anything about the teams that have a bunch of excess picks. Like I'm thinking of, you know, the Thunder, the Pelicans, and even the Grizzlies, where they all have all mm. their own picks and then and then a bunch of others. And it's like, I wonder if any of those teams would be willing. Like I've talked a lot on my Grizzly shows, like, you know, it doesn't I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the Grizzlies to try to like four first round picks and junk, you know, like that doesn't I don't think that helps either team a ton. I mean, maybe it, like you're saying, it, it replenishes the um, the Sixers, and then they can use those picks to trade later. But it does seem like I mean, the Pelicans, the matching salaries weird. They don't have anyone who could I feel like help on the court this year. But like, would those teams or the Thunder decide? Hey, let's yeah, pay. I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine any of those any of those circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I get I get I kind of get the Grizzlies argument. Uh, I'm sure you've talked extensively. They're kind of in a place where they have like too many good players for their own sake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that can't just, there's diminishing returns there. That's an overused phrase, I think, and I'm guilty of it, but I think it absolutely applies to the Grizzlies, but it doesn't have to be a team with a surplus of picks, just one that has all of its picks moving forward. Um, the wolves again, are the, where this kind of idea was, was sparked. They've been in, they've been kind of dominating the, 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 the conversations, right. Um, in terms of the leading suitor for, for the for Ben Simmons, um, the Warriors have all their picks as well. I believe moving forward, so it's less about uh, the, like the Grizzlies have one of the Warriors. Okay, uh, twenty four. Uh, yeah, okay. um, it's, so it's less about like these teams that have you know really really kind of stockpiled picks via trades and whatnot, but just more that like the teams that have the the ability to do what the Lakers did, you know, to get AD. Where like the Lakers yeah. didn't have like a surplus of picks, but they had everything moving forward at the time, so they can trade all those. So um, obviously, Ben will not go for an AD package. Um, but he does have four years left and like for all of his faults, he's a three-time all-star. He's 25 years old, two-time yeah. all, first all defense, second, second runner up or second place in DPOI, like absolutely has his faults. And I've been very critical of him, but at the same time, like he's a player that can help get you to the playoffs. And for a lot of teams, like just getting there would, would be meaningful. Yeah. Um, to him, like the Kings, there was a report yesterday from Sam Amick about kind of what the Kings would be willing to put out there. Um, and I mean, they've haven't been to the playoffs in what 15 years, so 15 seasons, um, yeah. And they've had, I was looking, it's, it's, I know that they've played in the West and the Ben Simmons played in the East, but it's while Ben Simmons has made as many all star appearances the last four years as the Kings have had since two, yeah, oh, wow. five or six. They're clearly that, that's a little reductive because of the opposing conferences, but um, still, like those ter- those teams like that that are looking to just get in the playoffs could really benefit from Ben's talent on, on both sides of the ball. Um, clearly more defensively inclined, but. Uh, I think I think I get the idea for for those sorts of teams, and a lot of picks might might be overdoing it. Like I don't know exactly what I give up for Ben, but I think that's where the Sixers should be going if they can. Yeah, that's it's a hard it's a hard position for those teams. Like if I'm running the Timberwolves or the Kings, I know the scenario, and I'm like, listen, I don't want to give up picks. I'm willing to give you players, but like I don't want to give up a ton of picks because, like you said. We want to have sustained success, and getting Ben Simmons is nice. And I know the Sixers are now backed into a, a corner, essentially. Um, but man, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it plays out. Do, do you have a prediction? I guess last thing, like what's your what's your feeling? The Timberwolves just seem like the one for me. Like they they need more talent around. You know, Cat and Ant, them not having their pick this year, I think was tough. Like they want to compete next year, and they they could. I like. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs as currently constructed, but I think they could be a fine team. Like I think you know what the Kings did a few years ago when they nearly made the playoffs, won thirty nine games. Or like I think that could be the Wolves. Um, and but I but at the same time, like the 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 clock is kind of ticking for Cat, right? Like I think they probably feel some pressure to put a winner around him. Uh, so and there's just been so much smoke, and they have good players. They have all their picks. Um, I think that's most likely to me, but I could also see a three teamer with involving San Antonio. Maybe we haven't mentioned them. They've got a lot of young guys. Yeah. So the, I think those would be my two. If I had to put money down, that would be where I think Ben Simmons is playing his next NBA game. Whenever that happens, I don't know exactly, but um, those are my bets for now. And I, I don't know. I think like it's, it, I, I'm not like, I don't know. I, I look forward to this entire situation being resolved for everyone involved for Ben himself to be somewhere who would like he feels wanted for the Sixers to, you know, have a new core in place for everyone who covers the team. Like I've probably done, oh gosh, 15, 17 podcasts at this point over the last two and a half months about Ben. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the new topics, actually having, being able to know like 
what the heck is this team going to look like? It's hard, It's been so hard to do Sixers stuff uh, because I have no idea what the roster is going to look like in a month and a half. But that's my prediction. I would put the the Wolves one and the Spurs two. Maybe yeah. Maybe them kind of working a three teamer in there, seeing what happens. I can't wait for Sixers fans to discover that D'Angelo Russell is bad. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a lot of them are not are not huge on him either. Uh, but yeah. yeah. He, he wouldn't solve all their issues, unfortunately. And I, right. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, those are my picks. All right. Well, thanks, Jackson. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully you'll come on again sometime. Absolutely. Appreciate having me on. Visit grindcitymedia.com today for the most up-to-date and exclusive coverage and analysis of the Memphis Grizzlies you can get. Grind City Media is always there, home and road, providing the most comprehensive Grizzlies coverage. Plus, you get your local and regional sports fix from Tigers football, basketball, SEC, and HBCU news, and it's all in one spot. For more information and behind-the-scenes access on the Grizzlies and for some really terrific podcasts, visit grindcitymedia.com or follow on Twitter at grindcitymedia today. It's now time for the last drop. That's right. We named a new segment. This is the last drop. And I'm joined right now by my good buddy, Damon Rangula. What, what, wait, who's, who's sponsoring the segment? Uh, you know, it's uh, still the Grizzlies. You know, if they want to uh, farm that out to somebody else, we're open to it. If you, okay. have, any, if you have any leads <laughs> for some good companies that want to sponsor the last drop. But uh, Damon, thanks for coming on. I have some questions to ask you about your Los Angeles Lakers. Now, yes, sir. Earlier in the week, I was thrown out there. Are this year's Lakers possibly the wealthiest team ever assembled? And I'm oh, wow. obviously not talking about the poverty franchise. I'm not talking about <laughs> your, your poor owner. No, I'm talking about. I was, I was about to say, yeah, she's probably more cash trapped than most of the. Yeah. Team. Yeah. She's not even worth a billion. <laughs> Come on. That's embarrassing. But the players, I'm talking about their career earnings. Oh, boy. Now, what I ha- I'm going to have you on, I'm putting you on the spot. This is what the people want. I they, am not prepared for they this. Want, okay. No, I did not give you any heads up whatsoever. I want you to rank the current Los Angeles Lakers based on just their on-court career earnings. Just the salaries that they have been paid by their NBA franchises, and we're including their salaries for this season. I got these numbers off of Spotrack. I never know how to say that. Is it Spotrack? I have no idea. Spotrack.com. This is career earnings of the Los Angeles Lakers. I will tell you right now, I added it up. The the Lakers right now, they they have career earnings combined of over $2.2 billion dollars. Yeah, that, that, that that's is more nonsense. Money than the Buss family has. <laughs> that is nonsense. I'm talking. If you look at the top ten players on the Lakers, I'm not even including rookies. I'm not even including this uh, Kakak. No, I'm talking <laughs> the top ten players on the Lakers in their careers, just in the NBA, not endorsements, have made that's, a combined two point two billion dollars. So, uh, Demon, can you okay, so rank I, them I, lower? I, I am, I am, I am looking at the roster. Nothing else. I just forget the names. If you don't know the roster by heart, I can't blame you because your team changes players every season. It's hard for fans to keep up. A lot of smaller market fans, we get to develop a relationship with our players. You know, they they put roots in the community. It's really exciting. Lakers are like, hey, you ten guys, you're out. Let's get a new ten guys in this year. I'm sure it'll work out great. All right, who has made the most money on the Lakers? Uh, Again, not endorsements, just through salary. So I think there's so there's one thing I know, and I remember looking this up. Yep. LeBron is not as high as we think it should be. So I'm gonna say because he hasn't signed that Mega Max. You're, you're, so you're I'm gonna it. really. So I, it's it not Russell Westbrook. No, it's, it's LeBron. LeBron. Okay, so it's so LeBron. LeBron. LeBron so far has three hundred and eighty-seven million dollars in just oh, because yeah, NBA he's also earnings. been in the league so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he good. has. More Holy LeBron crap. James has earned more money in his career than every player on the Grizzlies combined has made uh, together. Uh, LeBron, LeBron's <laughs> at three eighty-seven. Uh, the Grizzlies clock in around three hundred sixty-six million no combined, way. combined earnings for their entire. Well, I mean, the Grizzlies don't want 
players yeah, who have true. any NBA that's experience. Uh, Steven Adams uh, holding the Grizzlies up with $127 million <laughs> in career earnings. All right, LeBron is number one. So that's not tricky. Okay, is, is, is Russell Westbrook number two? Russell Westbrook is number two. Uh, okay. Westbrook, who has, I believe, two hundred and eighty-nine million dollars career earnings. All right. So we have we have we have LeBron and Re- Westbrook, the okay, richest is, two Lakers. Is is number three? Man, is number three Carmelo Anthony? Carmelo, absolutely. Good job. Good work, Carmelo Anthony, with a paltry two hundred and sixty-three million dollars estimated career earnings. Uh, not including endorsements. All right, so that's a solid bill for the top three. Uh, okay. LeBron James, Westbrook, and Carmelo. I'm going to go Dwight Howard next. Oh, you're on fire. Dwight Howard, $245 million in career earnings. That's about a quarter of a billion dollars for playing basketball. Uh, yes. Goodness. You're doing great. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, I will go... I think now we're heading towards Anthony Davis territory. You got it. Anthony Davis, he's at 188. Would that that feels low. That feels super low. That feels, yeah, that yeah, feels yeah. a little bit low. It feels a little bit low. Uh all right, so you're doing great. All right, keep keep rolling. Okay, now 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 it gets trickier. Um so just based on years he's been in the league. Oh man, this is tough. Um you know, I'm going to say Rajon Rondo? No. No, not even close. That's not, not actually, that, that face was not I will even say, close. Face. I will say because of my poker face, giving that away. Rajon Rondo has made surprisingly little, relatively compared I, to I, his I, other extremely wealthy teammates. Interesting. Yeah. Oh man, now, 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 now it's getting bad. Well, I mean, Rondo's uh, in the top ten. Rondo's in the top ten, but I'm okay. just saying, uh, no. Uh, we we have you, you oh, got the first is, five right. Is 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 it? Oh man, is it Trevor Ariza? No. He's on the list, though. Oh, man. Oh, is it? Is it our guy, Mark? Marcus Saul. Marcus Saul got paid a max Marcus for Sharp. a lot of years from the Grizzlies. Marcus Saul with $182 million in career earnings. He is sixth. I, 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 by the way, I'm worried about our guy. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be on the roster. Yeah. You guys should probably buy him out just to spread that wealth. But um, he is sixth. You you th- already threw out who was number seven. Uh, it is Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza. Okay. Trevor Ariza with one eighteen. Uh, then after that comes Rajon Rondo, as you okay. throw out. Um, he's only made one sixteen. Well, that feels that feels low. Yeah, it feels low. It feels low. Okay. I think he was, he was on a really good deal. I feel like on the Celtics, you know, like like the peak of his career. I don't think he was getting paid. I, I, yeah, actually, I think that, I think that, he, that probably, he got hurt. Right before I think he was going to get paid, and then he got traded to Dallas, and that was a you know, yeah, that was the end of his big money days. Yeah, I will say losing Andre Drummond kind of hurt this exercise. I wish Andre, <laughs> Dr- I wish Andre Drummond was still there with his 139 million dollars in career earnings. All right, you we have done the top eight, okay? Um, now we're the, the eighth richest. So, or, are you are, are you counting Wes Matthews? All right. If we include Wes Matthews, do you should okay. we include Wes Matthews? Do you know Wait, something? He's, is, he's still, is, he's, is he going to be on the team? He is still on the Lakers team roster on the website. So that's all I'm basing it off of right now. Mm, let's include Wes Matthews, and he would be okay. next. Then he would be next. Okay. Then. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So if we're including Wes Matthews, um, that means uh, that's fine. So I, I'm bumping out uh, who I had in tenth. Wes Matthews okay. would be eighth at 109 million dollars in career earnings. Wow, he's at a, he's crossed a hundred. Okay. Right. Um, oh boy, you is got the two. Next... You, get, you got two more. Okay. Is the next Kent Bazemore? Yes, sir. He said one big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He had a big deal. Okay. He got a he got a summer of sixteen deal. Uh, Kent Bazemore, seventy nine oh, right. million dollars in career earnings. Kind of surprised. Uh, the su- the summer of twenty sixteen. The Lakers are very well aware. All right. So uh, so our top nine. You got LeBron. You got Westbrook, Carmelo, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, Marcus Saul. Trevor Ariza, Rajon Rondo, we're including Wes Matthews, then Kent Bazemore. Who is your 10th richest as far as NBA career earnings, Los Angeles Laker, or your your fifth poorest, if you want? Yeah, we're, we're, we're headed towards fifth poorest territory. You know, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. we're barely touching 100 mil. This is That's right. Some change. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go. This is a little bit of a wild card. Probably wrong, but I'm still going to go 
Wayne Ellington. It is Wayne Ellington. Okay. Yeah. It's, like, okay. It's, like the, it's like the only veteran left. Yeah, the, you know? the age-wise. Yeah, you, yeah, have, yeah. you have the very poor Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, never gotten big paydays in their lives. Uh, but you, you can tell how much of like a capitalist pig I am that I, I feel like I did better than I should have. With no, no, you did great. You did great. Wayne Ellington <laughs> has, has, has only made... $48 million uh, in his Pathetic. NBA career. Pathetic. So that is your wealthiest Los Angeles Lakers, a combined earnings over $2 billion. The next closest Crazy. may be, um, you know, breaking news on Thursday, Paul Millsap has joined yeah. the Nets, raising their combined career earnings pretty nicely. Uh, they're up around, this is very, very rough, but approximately $1.6 billion. Where you have they're, they're, uh, they're going to give James Harden a big deal, right? Isn't, right. I mean, you have you have some big earners there with obviously. I mean, also, but once they let it go of DeAndre Jordan, they're going to drop back down. You know, <laughs> back, drop back down to like a one point five billion. But anyway, that was the last drop. Damon, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk I love with you guys. You. Thank you so much, uh, guys out there listening. You know, if you don't follow Damon on Twitter, I, I don't blame you. It's kind of intense. I don't don't blame you. A lot of Lakers exceptionalism. Yeah, no pressure. uh, Hard to stomach. Anyway, buddy, uh, look forward to the next time. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks to Demond for coming on. If you were listening closely, I actually messed up something. We named eleven players. I got messed up in my counting after we included Wes Matthews. That's right. I can add to two billion, but cannot count correctly to ten. But anyways, thanks to Demond. Thanks to Jackson Frank. Thanks to John Burr. Don't forget to vote for us in the Best of Nashville sweepstakes. Our pride compels us to push for this. So go to the link in this episode's description. Vote for Best Podcast Fast Break Breakfast, Best Sports Show or Podcast Fast Break Breakfast, Best Twitter Account at Fast Break Break. And remember to vote for at least 20 categories. If you want to support the show, do that at patreon.com slash Fast Break Breakfast. Going to be a fun weekend. Going to do a fantasy football draft in the next few days. And then, of course, in just about a month, we'll start organizing our fantasy basketball drafts. That's right. The season is about six to seven weeks away. We'll be here before you know it. Anyway, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.